Welcome back to another episode of B-Hall Radio. We're at episode 73. I'm your host, Brian Rowan, with longtime co-host Tyler McLeese. Apologize for losing my voice Sunday's match. We're starting to get it back, but uh, welcoming on the on the show tonight, we got Tommy Hendricks, class of 2006. Welcome to the show, Tommy. Glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Awesome. So Tommy was a, like I said, a 2006 graduate. He's a former Green Beret. He's managing managing partner at Decisive Point with a business degree from business degree from Columbia University, law degree from George Washington University. Loves to go to school, uh, and most importantly, the vice president of the West Point Wrestling Club. So glad to have you on. Conveniently, you know, I, I guess uh, uh, we're trying to have you on. You know, right as we're getting close to the Army Navy wrestling match. So. Um, a little strategic here, but, you know, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks guys. I've been loving the show. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Yeah. So Tommy, talk to us about the West Point wrestling club. Let's start there. Talk to us about what you guys do. Um, we'll go from there, man. Tyler, yeah. just diving, diving right in. We'll talk tonight. We're getting right down to it. Hey, you know, if you've been listening to B hall, you've heard Kevin talk about it quite a bit. You've heard uh, Todd Messa talk about it. Um, the club is a really important thing that uh, takes care of a lot of the behind the scenes, the stuff that people don't even know that the program needs. Um, for a long time, Todd Messett has been, I won't say a one-man band, but definitely the, the single driving force to make a lot of this stuff happen. Um, and absolutely hats off to him. And about, I'd say two years ago, I reached out to him and, and told him I wanted to get more involved. Um, and so, you know, if you think about... Um, running the program, right? We, I think even as a cadet, I assumed everything having to do with army wrestling was paid for by West Point. Um, and then it was only as a graduate that I kind of got a better understanding of how the associate graduate works, what its relationship to the academy is, how things get paid for. And so unlike a, you know, a traditional university that has an endowment that they're able to invest, you know, and grow year after year and deploy whenever they, they need to, you know, improve infrastructure or, or roll out a new program, we actually burn up a lot of our um, of our endowment every year in that superintendent's fund. So there's there's a number of different vehicles that they have within AOG, but I mean some of them go directly toward funding could cadet activities in that you know given year. So things like uh, you know postseason tournaments, sending folks to go wrestle in freestyle competitions, um, the prep school coach. These are things that they're not funded by West Point. Um, and so, you know, we have, uh, I think for a long time, you know, had a, a pretty modest uh, fundraising effort uh, to, you know, bring on some of these volunteer assistants. Um, but, you know, there's a tremendous amount of turnover. We, we, we're, we're not able to pay them competitively, um, you know, out of the small budget we have. And so we've really come to make this, this push and this effort uh, to make fundraising you know, part of our alumni's plan giving every year is they think about the, uh, you know, the charities, and nonprofits that are important to them. We want people thinking back on, you know, all that they got out of being an army wrestler and contributing to the program in that way. So that leads us to um, next week, you know, the, the army, the, the first annual army Navy social, um, just the info just got released that just got released with that for the last uh in the last couple of days so yep. um so, you know listeners uh, you know fans listening in well you know what can they expect um uh when they register kind of like give us a rundown of um the event itself kind of what, what you see and also for me because apparently i'm involved in it now uh 
um, with Coach Ward. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going to do uh, four thirty to six thirty before Army Navy at uh, at the Westin Hotel in Annapolis. You know, we have a conference room. Uh, we're going to have an open bar, um, and we're going to have essentially a fireside uh, chat hosted by Biro, uh, talking with uh, Coach Kevin Ward about the matchup, the matches to watch. You know, what the road and path to victory against uh, Army Navy against Navy is, and and really. <clears throat> Beyond that, right? Like, coaches got to get over to weigh-ins, and, and we only have them for a you know um, a short amount of time in the beginning. It's to start to um, you know build these events, these collision events, where people from different classes can meet, can engage, get to know each other. I mean, <clears throat> if you're a graduate, you know the deal. You leave the academy for five years at least. Your head down, your head is down in, in doing army stuff. Um, it's an important job. It takes a lot of your time and effort. You're, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you're starting a family. Um, and it's hard to keep up with Army wrestling. There's a million reasons to lose kind of connective um, relationships with the program. And, and we want to have these, these opportunities for people to come back into the fold. So, you know, if you think about um, West Point, West Point is this incredibly unique um, institution where upon graduation, we all go do the same job. Um, and if you look at, you know, our counterparts that go to Harvard or go to uh, Princeton or Cornell, right, <clears throat> if you're looking for a job, if you're, you know, going and, and trying to figure out your next move, um, there's a tremendous alumni uh, base and relationships that, that they look out for each other. And that's in industries that are, you know, completely disparate across, you know, different fields across finance, tech, you know, law, whatever. Um, and we all go to the same job. And I think we do a really bad job of networking, of building relationships across the classes, right? <clears throat> when, um, you know, when Tyler graduates from the career course and he goes to Fort Carson, right? He should know what, what other army wrestlers are there, you know? And, and a lot of them are probably already been company commanders, they're battalion XOs, they're, you know, they're <clears throat> lieutenant colonels about to take battalion command. Wouldn't it be nice for him to be able to have a relationship with some of those people when he shows up and help, you know, mentor him along the way? And then the same is true, you know, when you exit the military. Um, like I said, I, I, when I left the military, uh, you know, I had no idea if there was any other army wrestlers running around Wall Street where I was at the time. Um, so, you know, we really want to build not just the you know, the backbone of a, uh, an organization that's going to um, drive the program forward. But we also want to, you know, give back to the community, be able to, you know, I mean, do exactly what, you know, as West Point we're supposed to do, right? Grip hands with those classes that came before us and be able to, you know, continue to lift up uh, our, you know, classmates and our, uh, for us, our fellow graduates. Yeah, we, I've, I, um, I feel like we need somebody who knows how to code because I feel like if, if we could enable it on the, the um the west point wrestling club website like to have like like, like let's say if you went there there was like a database where you, you knew where everybody was located you know that's you know part of you know army wrestling uh, i'm sure there's probably that feature on like linkedin or something like that to where you could sort like you know act you know by activities or by um you know by location or military base things like that because there's i mean you go to carson there's probably 10 wrestlers there and yeah you may, exactly. know, you may know like a handful of them but there's probably another handful that you have no idea were there. And at Bragg, there's probably 40, you know, when you probably only know 15 that, that are there. 
Yeah, it's actually kind of funny you say that because uh, literally just the other day I was at uh, wrestling practice in the morning on Fort Benning and uh, I ran into John Anderson there and he's out at Carson too. So um, I actually made that connection pretty pretty recently. But um, for, the, for the most part, absolutely right. And it'd be really cool to get something like that. So, you know, before you go there, you have a little network for guys that you can reach out to just for all things about the Army, where to live, jobs, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is um, people want to help, but they have to know how to help. It's, you know, the same is true when we talk about the fundraising efforts, right? Um, people want to know where the program needs help because they're willing to do it. And so at some point, there's a bit of modesty involved here where we have to, you know, acknowledge that, you know, it would be helpful to have a stronger um, wrestling alumni network. That's, you know, I think that's, that. this is the starting blocks. And like I said, for, um for Todd, for me, for, you know, the other folks that are, that are involved in the club, right? None of us can do it alone. It's going to have to be, you know, a pretty big community lift to get, um, you know, some of those types of efforts activated. Yeah. Speaking of which, do you want to talk at all about the next level, uh, 2022, where we're at, what classes have done really well? Sure. Um, I think the classes that have, so just a, a quick overview, and I think Kevin talked about it a little bit, maybe Todd did as well. Um, so starting at the golf outing, we announced, uh, this year, we're going to have a, you know, a dedicated giving campaign. Um, and the focus was going to be, uh, on the lead up to army Navy, uh, trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars from October, which is when the golf outing is until now. Um, we are focused specifically on funding additional coaches on covering down on the prep school coach. Um, on postseason uh, wrestling opportunities for our current wrestlers and uh, aspirationally to bring in some RTC athletes that are here to train um, and continue their uh, wrestling careers. So um, those are all things that are not funded by the Academy. Um, we think while $100,000 isn't going to um, you know, answer the mail and all those things, it's a great starting point. Um, I think we're sitting probably around $45,000 at this point. Um, so, you know, we're coming into a little bit of a sprint here at the end and we've done a couple of good events this year. We had our first annual tailgate at the army Navy football game. We had a great turnout there, um, and raised some money. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong. This, the, the intent of, you know, talking about the club is not to, you know, at every turn, um, to be trying to shake people down for cash. Um, but I think what we're trying to do in earnest is really divide, um, the relationships that we as alumni, as, as friends, as family of the program have with the club versus have with the program and the team, right? When, when you as an alumni member want to talk to Kevin, you want to talk about the program. Um, you don't want to be worried and, and, and feel like every time that that conversation comes up with a coach or a member of the program, it's going to be about fundraising or donations, right? Like, <clears throat> let us do that. Um, I, I don't have the same, I think, um, barriers to, you know, trying to guilt my classmates into giving a couple bucks to the program as, you know, uh, as someone in the program does. So, so um, you know, kind of getting back to um, this event um, next weekend, um, I know, you know, alumni and friends, but also, I mean, parents of wrestlers are going to, you know, course, are yeah. more than welcome um, to attend. I know that the you know, parents of wrestlers, you know, I would assume most wrestlers' parents are going to, you know, try to go to the, uh, try to go to the match. So, you know, $50 registration also includes um, the tickets to the match itself. So 
Um, I don't, my, I'm taking my dad, and he's going to really take advantage of the open bar. He's going to put it yeah. to the test um, during that two hours. Um, but should be should be a good thing. I'm glad you put it together. This I feel like these events, you know, they get people together, they get people talking. You know, it's so easy to go into your own world and forget about army wrestling. Um, but if you can reconnect with a few people, um, when you when you're going up there, you know, it can it can make a big difference, um, especially with you, you paying attention. I mean, I feel like most of us, you know, if you if we get detached from the wrestling world, um, you know, we usually come back this time of year you know, Army, Navy, EIWAs, NCAAs, you know, this whole, this like six week period is um, really, you know, four week period is, um, you know, kind of, kind of brings everybody back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, I, unfortunately I won't be able to make it, but I was there for the Army, Navy tailgate where we had a bunch of the wrestlers there. And that was, that was a really good time to get to connect with a lot of the guys that I haven't seen in years. And some of the guys that I've been watching, but haven't gotten the chance to meet. So those kind of networking events to get to talk to other people from different generations of army wrestling is always really cool. So should be a good event. Absolutely. Hope to see everybody there. So, uh, you know, kind of transitioning from there, um, moving into, you know, your, this is your episode, you know, we want to dive into your journey, how you became, you know, the, at the pinnacle as the vice president of the West Point wrestling club. Um, you know, you are, you know, you're from the Hudson Valley. Let's talk about your journey kind of, Coming through, we've had a few other wrestlers um, come on, you know, from the Hudson Valley. Um, so, I guess talk talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, kind of your first memories of West Point. You know, were you, you know, looking to go to West Point from the start? Um, and kind of kind of walk us through that journey growing up in there in the Hudson Valley. Yeah, so I, I grew up in Cornwall, New York, which is for most people, um, if you're familiar with West Point, you know Prima Pizza. You've been to my hometown, so. Um, Cornwall's right on the other side of the mountain from West Point. Uh, you know, West Point was just something that kind of loomed large, um, you know, for everyone that lived in town. Um, I went up twice a week when I was a kid, uh, and was a participant in the youth wrestling program, the same one that my kids go to now, which is, you know, uh, coached by, uh, Jesse from, you know, the team, um, we, you know, we would come up, we'd watch all the matches. Um, and West Point was always this thing, though, that, like, was held up on a very high pedestal for people that lived in the area. Um, you know, I specifically, I remember my grandparents who had, you know, lived in, in that area for, you know, 50 years at that time, like, spoke about West Point. Like, it, you know, like, Douglas MacArthur himself was still there. Um, and, uh, you know, for my grandfather who, you know, left school in the fifth grade to deliver ice on a bicycle in New York city, and then became a cab driver, right? Like <clears throat> having a grandchild go to West point was this unimaginable thing. And to be honest, by the time I was in high school, it was a pretty unimaginable thing for me as well. Um, I didn't have uh, bad grades, but they, they certainly weren't outstanding. Um, and I had a pretty good relationship with uh, coach Efner just from being a local kid going to the, uh, going to the camps, going to the clinics uh, every week. Um, but it wasn't until Coach Giles came in. Um, and Coach Giles, um, you know, I, think, I think he's a New Jersey guy himself. Um, but he, he had a really strong um, opinion about bringing in guys from the Northeast. Um, and I remember, you know, he kind of pulled me aside during camp, um, said, uh, you know, I'd love to have you consider coming to West Point. And we, we started that engagement there. And I, I was, 
you know, the team had just moved into Cullen Hall. Um, you know, I, and I would, I'd probably be up there, every, you know, every couple of weeks, like checking in, watching practice. Um, and, uh, you know, coming into my senior year, Giles left um, and, and Coach Barbie came in. And, you know, Coach Barbie came in, I think, with his own set of uh, recruits and people he had already been talking to. Obviously, Phil is a, is a great example, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it was clear I was not going to be one of his recruits that year. Um, and then kind of, you know, out of the blue, I got a phone call from him in the fall saying, you know, hey, we, uh, we're not going to have a spot for you this year, um, but we have this program where you can attend Blair Academy in New Jersey which I of course knew about, you know, from their, uh, you know, their, their wrestling fame down there. And, um, you know, would you want to do that instead of going to the, the traditional prep school route? Um, you know, I think he felt my grades were probably good enough that I didn't necessarily need uh, to go to the prep school, but, you know, it was an extra year, an extra opportunity to, to wrestle and develop. Um, and I'm, you know, really grateful for that opportunity that I would say that year going to Blair really changed my life. Um, so I graduated high school. Um, I went to Blair. I was there class of 2002. So, you know, that was a powerhouse team. Mark Perry was on my team. Zach Esposito was on the team. Um, you know, and it was some of the best wrestling I'd ever been around, you know, and it was like night and day from my experience in, you know, big fish in a little pond in my local high school to go into Blair. And you had to reapply when you went to Blair, right? Because I know the prep school guys have to reapply as well. So were you doing that on your own or were the coaches helping you out with that? I'd say I pretty much did on my own. Yeah. How does that, like, I, I remember, like, when you're at prep school, I mean, you do the process, but, like, it's a shoe. Right. You're, you're getting a nomination. It's a shoe in You know, if you pass, was it a shoe in like, in that role where you were, when you're at, when you're at Blair? Yeah. How does that, like, how do they, like, yeah, I, I think I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say it's a shoe in, right? It's not like the prep school where it's it's wired, it's part of a process. Um, but it was funded by the Association of Graduates. Um, and so, you know, I, I did have essentially a sponsor at the Association of Graduates who was like managing my my packet, my application. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was definitely still applying to other schools because um, it, it wasn't a, a sure thing. You know, one of the interesting things about my time at Blair right, is my first day at Blair was September 11th, 2001, um, you know, and being a New Yorker, yeah, that, it really hit home, you know, I had, I had friends in high school whose, you know, parents were firefighters and cops, um, you know, it was a big deal for us, um, and uh, obviously it was a big deal for the entire nation, but, you know, it definitely hit very close to home, um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I definitely had second thoughts uh, when it happened about just enlisting instead of taking the West Point route. And that is one time that Coach Barbie did speak to me about, you know, the application process. As he said, you know, don't leave. Um, yeah, this, it, yeah, this war is not going anywhere. Is that a, is the Blair route something that is still available, or is that something that went away? Um. You know, interestingly enough, I was at Blair two weeks ago, uh, first time since I graduated, so first time in 20 years, um, for an event, and then I stayed for a wrestling match against Del Barton. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was talking with the headmaster, and he said, you know, it's still a, an option, but they, you know, now that the prep school is up at 
West Point. They haven't sent guys to it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. Uh, have there what, what other what other army wrestlers have, have went through that specific Blair program? I'm trying to think if Kurt Pryor went uh, the year before me. Um, Eddie Gibbons did it. Oh yeah, he did. I forgot about that. Uh, Travis Featherstone, I think, went the next year after that. So we had a pretty good line. I mean, on, on our team, you know, while we were there, Brian, there were a number of guys that had done it. Dang. So my year was like the last year didn't exist. Yeah. yeah didn't I don't know how much longer they did it after that. Um, I've seen the, um, the Mark Perry flow documentary driven like probably a million times. Um, not a million times, but I've probably seen it 50 times. I watched it like a week and a half ago randomly. And like, he goes in depth about like the differences between um, you know, just the lifestyle changes and like that. Was was he exaggerating at all in that? Have, have you seen that? Uh, I haven't seen it. You no. haven't? No. Oh my god! It's only like twenty minutes long. It's uh, but it's 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 probably my favorite flow film. We're not sponsored by Flow either. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, it was a uh, like I said, you know, I look at the that you know the folks. I mean, consider like when I went on my visit there, like I stayed with Mako and Corey Cooperman, right? Like, I mean, you know, like these guys that went on to be, you know, super successful, um, you know, coach Buxton was still the coach at the time. And, uh, I, I'll never forget like the first practice that, um, I did there. And, uh, uh, Kurt Backus, a guy on the team who is, is the guy who then he took Kale Sanderson's spot after he graduated Iowa state. And Kurt was, you know, a senior in high school, a year younger than me. And I remember we were doing, uh, Coach Coach Buxton, I, I think, invented CrossFit. By the way, before CrossFit was a thing, uh, I mean, it was like just I know Brian that you're a you're a big fan. Um, and I just remember walking in, and they were doing uh, you know full squats and throwing the medicine ball in the air. And Bacchus was hitting the ceiling in like this two story building, and most people were getting it like you know halfway up. And I just remember being like, oh boy, <laughs> this is a this is going to be an interesting ride. There are some animals here. So, so um, I guess transition a little bit to your time at West Point. You know, I follow your LinkedIn. You're very active on there. Um, and you bring up, you know, fairly often kind of like your time at Army Wrestling, you know, time wrestling at you know, Army and how dealing with, you know, you know, being, you know, comfortable and uncomfortable positions and what that taught you, you know. So um, you know, kind of talk to us a little bit that transition into college wrestling um how maybe you know shaped your future success and kind of some of your time at West Point a little bit um it, yeah I um you know I I got recruited to us 125 uh, and I I left Blair probably weighing 160 or 165 and I remember showing up um you know our day or uh beast kind of ended and I remember coach Barbie saying to me um yeah well we recruited you for 125 man let's see it and I made, I made 125 twice and I was, uh, I mean, dying. I think dying is the effective, you know, the, the accurate term. I had a, like, a, <laughs> I think I don't know, at the, at the, like the first checking you get of your grades, I had like a, a 0.98 GPA. Um, and so, you know, I bumped up in weight to 133. Um, believe it or not, uh, at the time, John Anderson was my workout partner. Um, John was a 17-year-old 
120 pound guy. Um, and, you know, now of course he's, he's that, you know, that plebe at West Point's unrecognizable to the, you know, the, the Hulk he's become now. But, uh, you know, so I bumped up to 133, um, you know, was in the, you know, kind of bounced around in the mix between Bernard Gardner and Patty Simpson and Phil Simpson. And then I think really the next two seasons, I, I wrestled behind Phil. Um, and, you know, I had the, you know, the four-year career of being a four-year non-starter. Um, and it's disappointing, you know, as, a, as someone who really loves wrestling. Um, but, you know, we, I think you guys have talked about it a couple of times on the show, right? Like the guys that go in there every single day, knowing that they're not going to wrestle, um, making weight. I mean, I remember making weight to weigh in behind Phil, knowing there was a 0% chance that Phil was not going to wrestle. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that that experience, you know, was definitely formative for me in terms of um, doing hard things for the sake of, you know, them being hard for the sake of the team, you know, for, you know, not for yourself. Um, very little glory in weighing in and then sitting on the bench. Um, but, you know, sometimes a necessary thing, that's the sacrifice you make for a team. And if there was one thing that was for sure is that I loved being a wrestler. I loved being on that team. Um, and it was, it was very much part of my identity while I was at West Point. And, uh, you know, you give up a lot to be on, uh, you know, on the team, in the program. Everyone does. Everyone that, that shows up to that room does. Um, you know, it certainly didn't help my grades. Um, but, you know, it's what I probably wanted to do more than anything while I was there. And all my best friends were on the team, you know. Um, so, you know, what were you going to do? You leave the team and, you know, be miserable without your best friends around. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was either, you know, come back for Christmas and do 200 meter sprints till you puke with your friends or, you know, enjoy your Christmas break without them. So I think I, I just kept choosing the, uh, the pain and, you know, it, 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 it affects, I think the way that you, um, approach adversary, adversity and challenges in everything you do. So I, mean, I, I, one of the things I talk about a lot is I hire athletes. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a, um, you know, a requirement, but we hire athletes here and, you know, I want people that can, you know, self-inflict that suffering to get the job done without having to be told. Yeah, well, there's certainly something to be said for being a, a B-Squad brawler, as we called it that <laughs> back when I was there. It became a brand and, um, you know, definitely resonate with all that stuff coming in every day and working hard just for the sake of working hard and honestly just to make other people better and make the rest of the team better. We found a, we found a real pride in that as well, especially going out to like tournaments and like a middle school in Pennsylvania and being there Sunday <laughs> night at nine o'clock and then getting home at 1 a.m. and going to physics class at 7.30 the next morning. There's just no other lifestyle like that. Cause I mean- You know, I think, I think it was in, in Patrick Simpson's uh, BHAW session where he talked about uh, Sammy, Sammy Henson being there while we were there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was talking about how, you know, <laughs> 
Sammy was like, he was a really mean wrestler. Like if you went on the stairs and called him Paul, he would literally like be banging your head against the stairs. And uh, that was in the, in the afternoon with the whole team there. Well, because I wasn't a starter and, and thus, you know, expendable, there was a, there was, there was a several month long period where I did not go to normal practice at the end of the day. I went at lunch with Sammy while everyone else went and lifted and it would just be me and him in the wrestling room. And he would just like absolutely murder me for an hour. And he, I, I, you know, he would, he would have me stand on one side of the room and he'd do a sprint down and back. And he wanted from the second that he touched the wall for me to be shoving him into the wall. And then the, then the drill would start. And like, they were just fist fights some days. Some days, like it was just me and Sammy Henson, nobody in the wrestling room, just absolutely punching each other's lights out. And I just remember being like, this is the, <laughs> this is the worst. You know, I got the Olympic silver medalist just, <laughs> just lumping me up every single day. Uh, that makes it even more impressive that you were able to, you know, <laughs> through all these four years. I mean, now it's, I mean, I feel like <clears throat> the standard now not the standard, but like, it's way more common that, that most wrestlers that start as a plebe stay all four years. I mean, that wasn't the case. No. That's not the case for most programs. That wasn't the case back then. I mean, I think, you know, your senior class was probably, you know, six, seven, eight guys, you know, that's we started, we, we started with 21 or 22. And we, I mean, we lost more than half of our class. Yeah. And that's, I mean, now like this senior class, I think they have 12, you know, there was 12 in this, this one, um, I think most senior classes have like, you know, six or seven, maybe eight. Um, so, you know, you're one of the, one of the few, you know, that made it all four years and, and not being, not, not being a starter, you know, that's a, and that says a lot about your character. Yeah. I mean, we'd definitely do it again. Uh, you know. So, uh, maybe, so maybe, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, so while you're a cadet in the midst of all that you also went to sfas yeah um, yeah when did you realize that you wanted to go sf or yeah how did that like journey transpire um so you know uh i mentioned my first day at blair was um 9-11 yep. uh i I, I knew very little actually about the army i knew about west point because i lived so close but I didn't, I didn't really know anything about the army um if you like if you asked me like what branch I wanted to go I would have had no no idea even what they were um but you know we were of the generation that like and, and being you know at a boarding school at the time like we watched Green Braves invade Afghanistan on TV every night for months um and uh so I definitely knew I wanted to go into special operations uh when I got to West Point I still I, I wouldn't say I, I still kind of knew exactly what that meant and I remember at a uh um, at one of the sessions where, you know, the, the tax are telling you about your options for what you can do. Um, I asked about going to ranger school. Um, and, uh, you know, some, some kid in my company on the debate team or something like that kind of like scoffed at it because I was a core squad athlete. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember my tax said, well, you can't do that. Um, but we are going to, we are going to have a tryout to send, uh, 10 guys to special forces selection. I said, okay, well, I'll sign up for that. And they're like, well, you can't just sign up. You have to go try out. And I said, okay. You know, like just to me, I was like, yeah, okay. That's what I'm going to do. 
Um, and uh, so we went, we had this big tryout. We, I think no one really knew what we were getting ourselves into. And we ended up, you know, getting down to the final 10 um, by the end of the year. Uh, interestingly enough, I was failing physics and uh, the, at the study session before T's, my physics P, who I, I, I did not have some like close relationship said to me, now, hey, Cadet Hendricks, I heard you're going to uh, special forces selection. And I said, yes, sir. You know, if I can, if I pass your class and, uh, you know, don't have to go to, to summer school. And he said, good luck down there. I was like, well, it's, you know, <laughs> it's a long shot. And he said, he just looked at me like very sternly said, good luck down there. And I got <laughs> a, I got a C in the class. And I'm not even sure that was mathematically possible. To be, to be uh, so yeah, we went down there <laughs> and, uh, you know, walked around for a long time and got uh, sweaty and tired and sandy. And, you know, at the end was one of, I think, uh, four cadets that got picked up to go do it. And we only, they only actually did that program for two years. So I think in total, eight cadets got selected. I think only three or four of us ended up actually going SF. If you had to go through SFAS again or fist fight Sammy Henson again, which one would you do? Um, I think I would, I think I'd fist fight Sammy. Um, I think because the consequences of God's fired God's, Sammy. Jeez, the consequences of getting, of getting beat there are were lower, uh, than if I, you know, for some reason didn't get selected again. Yeah. Um, um, but on a serious note, so when you got selected as a cadet, isn't there like a, I know kid uh, cadets did that when I was there, but I know there was like a five year window where you had to be like available to go to the Q course. Was that the same thing? Um, no, I mean, we're the first class that had, you know, had that. And so they might've sorted some stuff out, but, you know, I commissioned, I went to the infantry. Um, and then, uh, you know, I got, I literally got a phone call one day from, you know, special forces branch saying, you know what, you know, when do you want to start to do course and what language do you want? So it wasn't a very like, it wasn't a very formal thing or formal process. Okay. So you still, so you branched infantry, went to Ibolic, Ranger School, and then you went to the 82nd, right? Uh, so I actually went to uh, the Corps Long Range Surveillance Company in the 18th Airborne Corps. Okay. How'd that work out? How'd that assignment, like, how'd you get that assignment? Um, they were deploying for 15 months, two weeks after I uh, showed up on Fort Bragg. So I, you know, I, 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 uh, showed up at Bragg, went and signed into the 82nd. I, I was told by the S1 there, you're not coming to the 82nd, you're going to the 18th Airborne Corps. And so like, I'm kind of crushed at, at that moment thinking that like, I'm going to go sit on staff, um, for a long time. Uh, and then when I showed up at the 18th Airborne Corps, they said, no, you're actually going to this military intelligence brigade so now i'm even like more crushed thinking i'm going to be you know a psd commander or something like that and uh you know that showed up and i'm in this long-range surveillance company every other lieutenant or or uh captain there was prior service sf um but they just they needed an, another lieutenant for their deployment so it worked out really great for me um i went uh you know, right out of the gate, 15 months to Iraq, came back. I was the, uh, I was the halo platoon leader. So, um, you know, I was 
probably the only infantry lieutenant to go to halo school in like a two or three year period um and then once i had that qualification i stayed in that job for a long time so i actually did uh, almost three full years as a platoon leader um, in that unit and so essentially went straight from being a platoon leader to the career course and then sf how do you think coming from being a wrestler and going through the the b squad brawler pathway that we kind of talked about <laughs> then transitioning into the military and into a role like that, where you step in and you immediately go to Iraq for 15 months. Talk about how prepared you felt for that or how did it meet your expectations coming from the environment that you kind of grew up in as a professional? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think one thing that's interesting that they don't, they don't really tell you at West Point, um, but if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, uh, most of your soldiers, uh, especially if you're, if you're in the infantry and combat arms, most, most of your soldiers, you would have probably been friends with in high school, right? You know, they're athletes. They, you know, um, they like the same things you do. They, that's why they're in the infantry. Um, and so, I mean, honestly, being a, being an army wrestler was instant credibility, uh, for me, especially like, you know, um, you come in, you show up, you, you weren't there for the entire train up um, prior to a deployment. And, uh, you know, you just got to kind of jump in the mix and add value. And, um, you know, uh, as long as I think you can carry your weight and you can do fitness, uh, which certainly if you were a collegiate wrestler, you should be able to do, um, you know, there's a kind of a, an instant bond that you're able to make. It, it gives you something to, to start with anyway, and a little less of a pill battle. That's, um, I didn't realize that, like, I, I was, I, I thought there was, like, some strings that got pulled, or, like, you were in 82nd for a little bit, and you were, like, you know, set yourself apart. I didn't realize it was just this, uh, like, luck yeah. at the draw, you just showed up on the right day, and they're, like, send this guy to core. Yeah, very, I mean, I, I had a very, my entire career path, you know, in the military was very fortunate, um, you know, from getting selected and then actually honoring it, um, you know, my, my time as a lieutenant. And then, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time in SF as well. So for anyone who's listening, whether it be cadets or recruits or someone who doesn't really know about special forces and the mission set and things like that, talk about your transition from um, being an infantry officer and a 15-month deployment to Iraq to transitioning to the Q course and the SF community and what that was like. Sure. I, I uh, you know, so I, I went into the captain's career course. I, I went to the special forces qualification course after that. Um, I uh, started out, I learned Farsi. So that was my language. I knew I was going to the fifth special forces group, which covers down on the CENTCOM area of responsibility or essentially the Middle East. Um, I wanted to go back to Iraq. Um, and, you know, so then it's essentially six months of language and then another year of training in unconventional warfare. Um, so, you know, you can think uh, on the spectrum of combat, um, you know, you can think kind of like invade Afghanistan, work with the local populace through, with, and by, uh, and that's, you know, really our focus within, within special forces. Um, so, you know, I, I went all the way through the Q course, um, and uh, I think I... I really hit my stride as far as like being in the army in the Q course. I was the, the distinguished honor graduate 
um, you know, kind of went from there, like feeling really good about where I was in the military um, and, you know, what the future held for me. I, I knew I was going back to fifth group at the time where things were starting to get hot in that part of the world again. Um, and so it was a good time to be headed back. So um, talk to us about your time, at, you know, at fifth group, um, you know, you're getting into your stride. Um, did you end up going back to Iraq or like, did you go to, you know, Afghanistan at all? Or like, kind of like, talk us through that. No. And how long were you at, at, at Campbell for? Uh, almost four years. So I showed, I showed up to uh, fifth group. Um, I actually had a by name request to go to um, the SIF, which is the, the counterterrorism unit within uh, each special forces group. Um, so that's the, you know, the one solely direct action uh, focused, you know, urban combat uh, type organization. Um, and uh, I showed up, signed into group, showed up to my battalion, and my battalion commander pulled me into his office and he said, hey, we just had an incident with a team leader and a, um, a warrant officer overseas. They're on their way back. The team's on their way back because the deployment's over. And uh, I know that we promised you that you'd go to the SIF, but I need you to go to this team because it's a Halo team. And I was, of course, already free fall qualified. Um, and for any listener that doesn't know what that means, basically, instead of parachuting at a low altitude where you're kind of clipped into the aircraft. This is when like, you know, you jump out with oxygen on and um, all that fun stuff at, at a very high altitude. Um, and uh, it basically said to me, if you, if you go to this team and, and kind of write the ship, I will restart your command time. So, you know, that's very attractive as a, you know, for a commander, you only get, you know, 18 months to two years in command. Um, so that's why I did. I went over there. I had a little bit of time um, uh, before they got back. Uh, they needed a, a freefall jump master, so I got to go out back out to Yuma um, and become a MFFJM. Um, you know, showed up. You know, had the team come back and and really just fell right into the position. I will say, I, I was in in almost every unit I went to. I was very fortunate that uh, they did not like the guy before me, and so I was like a you know. A little, I was a, I was met with a little less resistance, um, and so you know had had that team. Uh, it was definitely a you know a team that was going through some transition. Um, I think they improved a lot uh, during that time, and then um, you know when my one year mark came up, they brought me back, and I went into the uh, into the SIF. Um, I started out there uh, in command of the snipers, and then. Uh, as I, you know, kind of went through a couple more deployments, um, I got moved up to be the troop commander there. So the, the way that the SIFs were at the time broken up is it was essentially three special forces teams pulled together into one troop. Um, and so uh, we did uh, quite a bit of embassy work during that time. It was uh, right after Benghazi. So Egypt, Yemen, Lebanon, uh, all of them were having, you know, their own uh, kind of little versions of Arab Spring at the time. And, uh, you know, so I got to do some really interesting stuff uh, in that type of role. So, you know, flying into the embassies, uh, you know, uh, worked the partial evacuation of the Lebanese embassy when things were starting to kick off in Syria. Um, and then actually did a bunch of the initial planning for the Iraq response if, you know, as ISIS came into Iraq. 
And then fast forward another year, we were the first guys to go back into Iraq. So um, we put the band back together with the Iraqi counterterrorism service um, and started the air campaign against ISIS in uh, summer of 2014. And that was my last deployment. That's uh, pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, <laughs> I can see why you're in your, the line of work you're in now, um, based on everything you've kind of learned through, you know, through the time, especially, uh, you know, not every, you know, when you, when you think about like PL time, command time, most people have like three years combined of both. Um, and you had six years. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of uh, it's very fortunate. Yeah. And that, you know, that really fit into my decision to get out actually, you know, is that, um, I, I had never held a staff position ever. I mean, you know, my only job titles really were platoon leader and special forces commander. And, uh, you know, it just felt like it was time to get out. Um, you know, obviously the, the restrictions in Iraq at the time uh, were still pretty tight. We hadn't pushed into Syria yet. Um, you know, and, and my, my family was ready. Um, and as much as I loved it, and I really did love it, uh, at some point it, it became, you know, a, a pretty taxing thing. I had three kids, you know, who really didn't know me at all. Um, I was gone all the time training. And, uh, you know, the opportunity for me to get out and go to business school came and I, you know, decided to take it. Yeah, well, that kind of answers the, the next question of how, of what, what kind of led to the decision. So what, what was that transition like going from such a high ops tempo in that organization to uh, getting into business school? And um, did you kind of know what you wanted to do or talk about your kind of path to figuring out your next step? Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I think I've always approached things with like kind of a blind optimism, like with SFAs, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. You know, uh, well, that was the same thing with business school. Um, you know, uh, full disclosure for all of our listeners, because we're, you know, we're in the trust tree. You know, my, my, my GPA at West Point was a 237. You know, this is like absolute bottom of the class. Um, and, you know, I had to really work hard to get a, you know, a good enough score on the GMAT, um, you know, uh, kind of really make my case in my essays that, you know, that, that was, that was me 10 years ago. And I've done all these things to kind of, you know, both improve, but also to prove that, you know, those, those grades were not indicative of, you know, my, my potential. Um, and I think I was very, very lucky to get in. I think Columbia, um, they really valued the quality of, my service, not just that I was a veteran and I, they ticked the box and then, you know, um, we went from there. Um, and so, you know, went from, from that right in the business school. Um, it was, I, I wouldn't say a soft landing, but a softer landing than a lot of other things I could have done. You know, I was now, you know, having to kind of battle for a job, um, like a lot of folks and, uh, you know, I mean, that's what MBAs are for. MBAs are for career transition. And there's no kind of more clear career pivot than, you know, having been, you know, a soldier uh, and then wanting to make the jump in the business world. You know, I tell, I tell people all the time, I, I was really just doing kind of what all misplaced New Yorkers do, right? Like I was coming back to New York. I was either, you know, I could have either essentially become a cop or a firefighter, or I could have gone and tried to work on Wall Street. 
Um, and so yeah, that's the path I took. Did you go to, did you like the full, like uh, the full-time course? Like were you full-time student doing that or did you work, were you working simultaneously? Yeah, so I worked at the same time. So I did the, um, I, I, again, I was very lucky. Uh, I got a job at Blackstone, which is a private equity firm in New York. Um, and they allowed me to go to the Friday, Saturday program at Columbia. So I was, you know, working um, very long hours in, uh, you know, in a job in finance. And then, you know, I was doing basically business school on the weekends at Columbia. Um, so, uh, you know, talking about kind of transition, um, you know, I was definitely learning from a fire hose on, you know, in both, in both of those roles. Um, but, you know, I was, like I said, I was, I was really lucky to um, have someone at Blackstone take a chance on me and, um, you know, believe that kind of my experience was going to be relevant somehow. So I was, I was learning on the job at the same time I was in school. Um, and, you know, I think uh, there is some value to having to learn, um, not just kind of being in an environment where, you know, learning is a luxury. So I can't help but think now, like how your wife and dealt with this, you know, having, having kids like long hours in the military. And then you're like, you know what, we're going to get out of the military. We're going to transition, but I'm still going to work long hours, probably even longer. Yeah. yeah. Won't be out of longer. Time. You know, <laughs> one of the things that um, I think is uh, lost on us is people in the military about the, the civilian world. And I learned it, you know, that I, I, I would say that I have two, kind of key takeaways from my transition. One is that, you know, you're told when you're in the military, no way works harder than you. You know, thank you for your service. You guys are, you're the best. That, that's, that's true, right? Like for in, you know, you're on deployment, like that's a, you know, not an easy time, but you can't confuse that with like, that you're the only, it's the only career that works hard, right? Um, uh, if you think about, you know, however hard you worked, you know, in whatever your career field in the military was, going to ranger school, going through the Q course, right? That's something you had aspired to do your whole time, your whole four years at West Point. Well, that, you know, that, that kid that goes to Harvard and wants to be an investment banker, he's wanted to be an investment banker all four years he was at Harvard. And he is going, he is willing to do things that you are not willing to do when, when you get out as a 33-year-old um, and jump into finance, um, you know, so... It is, it's really long hours. Um, they work extremely hard. They're extremely smart. They're well-prepared. Uh, you know, their, their education, their pedigree really sets them up for success in those types of jobs. And there's a ton that you can learn from your civilian counterparts when you get out. I mean, they, they are, um, you know, certainly wealths of knowledge. The, the other thing that I always tell people um, about transition is one of the big differences between managers in, you know, we, this is another thing that we, we always hear, like you're the military, you're the best leaders in the world. Like, yeah, I think that that's probably true, but you can't discount the quality of the managers in some of these like high performing um, civilian roles. Uh, and if you think about it this way, you know, when you're a platoon leader, a general's not coming down and, and telling you, uh, you know, how you should run your patrol, you know, out in, in Baghdad. Um, that's for a couple of reasons. It, one is because it's not his job and you need to do your job. But two is that he's never been on patrol out in Baghdad, right? The last time that that general heard a shot fired in anger was in the last war, not this one. Um, so they lack a bit of the operational tactical um, 
relevancy. That doesn't mean that strategically they're, you know, oblivious to what's going on, on the ground, but it's not the same as having been there. Uh, if you think about some of these banks, you know, big consulting firms, you know, some of these big uh, high-performing businesses, um, those managing directors, those partners uh, at those firms, right? Not only can they still do your your job as well as you can, I mean, certainly better because they have more experience, but they've also lived through four market cycles. So they not only do they have the same like type of historical strategic view that a journal officer has, they also have the tactical competency and capability to do what you're doing as well as you are. So I, um, it's, you can't fake it with those types of people because they really know, you know, what's going on. They have a, a tremendous amount of perspective that you might lack as a new employee there. So, you know, you really do. Um, I, I think that is one of the, the, one of the things, that, you know, those two things that are lost on veterans as they transition that they're, they're, you know, I know I was kind of caught off guard and really surprised by, you know, uh, how capable the other people around me were. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I've actually heard that from, uh, I feel like there are a lot of resources now with like the West Point Careers and Networking Facebook page. And it seems like there's a lot of veterans who have transitioned and kind of drank through a fire hose that have reached back because, you know, I'm in the career course now about six years into my career. And a lot of my classmates are starting to make that decision. And I know a lot of people that have made the jump. It sounds like the transition and the opportunities that are there are really good now, having gone through West Point a few years in the Army, kind of being an adult now, been on their feet for a little bit. Um, so it's always interesting to hear perspectives because uh, I think the network that we have is pretty good and getting to learn from guys like you and your experience and some of your classmates. Yeah, I, I say that uh, I thought when I got out, people were really going to care that I was a Green Beret. And I would say nobody really does. Um, I mean, that's not true. I mean, people care. But, you know, largely, you know, Green Beret, mechanic, right? Like veteran served and, and everyone's very thankful for that. People cared that I went to West Point though, for sure. People definitely cared that I went to West Point. Um, you know, there is a, in, in some ways it is that, you know, institutional stamp of approval that you are a smart, capable, honorable, trustworthy person um, that, you know, uh, they feel about themselves having gone to an Ivy League school or another, you know, great civilian university. Yeah, so, um, you know, kind of it kind of moves into, you know, your role now, like starting decisive point, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about your company a little bit, um, you know, kind of what you guys do, um, give a little plug. I know sure. you sponsored the tailgate uh, for, uh, for the Army football game. Uh, so some of our listeners got to see, you know, got to see your at least your logo out there. But uh, talk to us a little bit uh, about that, what your company does. Yeah, so. Uh... While I was at Blackstone, I, I, I did get exposed a little bit to the aerospace and defense work that they had done. And it was kind of the first time that it dawned on me, you know, um, that, oh, this is, a, this is an industry, a, a big industry that, you know, there's obviously a lot of money in. Um, but, you know, one that I knew, actually knew about, right? And it's hard when you're making that transition and you're, you're head down and you're trying to, you know, you know in, in some ways, I think kind of shed that military brand a little bit, right? You don't want to be that the token veteran at, at a firm like that. Um, 
and uh, but once I understood that that there was um, you know this industry that I actually had probably more experience in and understood and understood well um, compared to other people with a lot more experience than me, um, I got really interested in it. And it was you know really at that time that people were starting to examine the impact of you know at the time fifteen years of low uh, you know unconventional warfare, low intensity conflict. Um, some defense innovation efforts were just really getting started. And so uh, we, you know, I, I, I was looking at the landscape. I ended up going to a startup and then I worked in an entre- as an entrepreneur in residence at a venture capital firm um, before deciding to start the company. And the, um, you know, the thesis is, is pretty simple, right? Um, if you can bolt on people that understand the government to high potential startups, and help them grow in the federal market by leveraging, you know, uh, either R and D funding or government contracts. Right, the the U.S. government is the biggest single customer in the world. Um, then you can help them grow more quickly and access a market that they otherwise would have, you know, really no interest or no idea how to access. Um, and then, um, and then raise a raise capital around those companies and invest in them. So, you know, decisive point, more simply put, is a venture capital firm that has a, a very robust um, portfolio operations and port- portfolio services business that helps companies access the federal market, not just in defense, but in health and human services, uh, power generation, energy storage, and critical infrastructure. Um, and it's a, it's a very nice uh, mission-focused type of role and business that, you know, I think really allows me to continue to feel like I'm in the mix and, and, you know, maintaining some relevancy and understanding what's going on in national security and in government, uh, but still, you know, it at its core is a finance uh, firm. Just well, bring your whole background, all, every, everything all together. Yeah, you know, sure. just remember this, your resume, you get to write it. So, you know, <laughs> it, it all makes sense after the fact. As you're going through it, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Sorry, Tyler, what were you going to say? No, I was the same thing, just full circle. <laughs> um, so you, you, got, you went back to school again, though, going to law school? Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> What were you just like? You know, I just I got I'm I'm bored. My I'm you know I, I a lot of the guys on the team have heard this before, but you know I'm I'm made to suffer. You know, um, and uh, I as we started the company, I realized that um, you know being a special force officer does not necessarily make you an expert in the way that the government buys and sells things, the way that the government you know does procurement. Um, I have a, you know, a fantastic team of other people that do know those sorts of things, um, you know, how congressional appropriations flow down to government contracts. Um, but I was looking for a way to get smart on it. Um, and uh, GW has a government contracts program at their business school. And I, I reached out and I said, you know, I, I already have an MBA, but I do have some GI Bill left. And I'd love to just maybe audit some of these classes so I can learn. And uh, they said no, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I got a call the next day from the law school, and uh, the um, 
one of the deans there said, you know, I, we saw your, you know, your, your resume. Um, we've been thinking about, you know, standing up a program within the law school that is focused on federal procurement law. We don't really have it all fleshed out. We don't have a program yet, but do you essentially want it to be the pilot? Um, and so me and one other student basically made a curriculum as we went through, which is now an actual program there. Um, but, you know, uh, once more kind of tossed into the fire. So I, I was in um, all law school classes for the first year with people who were either actual law school students, like going for their JD, or who were already attorneys going through the LLM program focused on government contracts and federal acquisition. Um, I, had, I had fortunately, I had majored in, in law at West Point, um, which, you know, at West Point is kind of like the easy major. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a law they, dog. They don't, they, don't, they don't know that though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, knew a little bit about what was going on, but, you know, I, I, I um, learned a ton in that program. And it's a, it's a great program for anybody that is really interested in how you know, government contracting works and uh, super relevant for what I do now, of course. So. It's awesome. So kind of, uh, you know, we've talked about you get, you know, getting back to New York, you know, what's it like, you know, you, you kind of alluded in the beginning episode, like your, your kids wrestled, you know, the same youth club that you did, you know, at West Point. Um, talk to you a little, you know, growing, you know, growing up, uh, raising a family, you know, around West Point now, you know, does it, does it, has it sunk in? I'm, I'm guessing it has, you know, you've been there for a while, but like, you know, you're, you're back home, you know, Katie's obviously far away from where she grew up, you know, but yeah. does she you know, feel like that's home now? You know, are, you, are your roots grounded there? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm at a, we live in Cold Spring, which is right across here from West Point. I can hear the cannon go off every morning and every night. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great town. It's a great community. Um, it's nice being close to West Point. Um, but you know, it's 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 always a challenge raising raising kids uh, and juggling work, and you know the same challenges everybody else has. I think I I, um, I look back on my childhood, and I'm sure a lot of uh, other parents on the uh, that might listen, be listening can um, uh, relate to this. Is I you know I think about my father who you know worked construction all day long, and then would still somehow come back and you know, do wrestling practice or coach baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, I sit on, I sit at this desk all day. And by the time I get to wrestling practice, I'm, you know, definitely some nights not feeling it. So um, got, don't sell yourself short. You got a rogue, uh, a rogue weight that's right. over there next that's to you. Right. There, so Jack and steal at lunch in here. Um, <laughs> now, so, but it, I mean, it, you know, it's, uh, I think, you know, Hudson Valley is a really special place. Um, you know, I think we take it for granted as cadets how, you know, what a beautiful place it is that we get to live for four years. Um, it's much better being on the outside, looking at West Point from across the river and not, you know, being there. Uh, but um, yeah, really, really enjoy it. Really, like I said, love that my kids get to, you know, go over there and, and see it. And they, they have gotten to know so many of the cadets over the years. Um, and they're just, uh, of course, fantastic role models, you know. Um, you know, the, the guys will often uh, come over, you know, watch TV, you know, uh, hang out on the couch, you know, sometimes even when we're not there. Um, and it's kind of ebbed and flowed, like some classes came over a lot more. Um, and, 
in some west but you know so the kids have really gotten to know some of the you know some of the guys over the years and so you know definitely thankful for that because that was something i had as a cadet you know a family you know nearby that i could go and spend time with and get away from the academy nice so um you know kind of wrapping this up you know how many episodes have you listened have you listened to most of the episodes yeah most of the episodes what uh what, what what were some of your favorite ones um i of course i always enjoy when kevin comes in and gives his updates you know i i eagerly await his uh his download from the lehigh match and the uh, the headlock or ground the iwa um rumors floating around that he's still smiling <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's still wearing a singlet under his uh as for class uh right now um so I, I love those. Uh, I, I think I mentioned to you before we got on. I really enjoyed the the Doxy episode. Um, I, I will one thousand percent plug his book. You know, uh, Doxy. I think and, and Sandy Miller and the other folks at CEP. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I realized until I read his book how much of what we learned in in that I still just do, and it's just part of who I am. Uh, without even knowing it. And so, um, yeah, I really enjoyed kind of getting to hear the, the behind the scenes story of Doc and him wrestling at the Pingree School and all that. I thought that was really interesting. I, all things I didn't know about him. Um, I had same thing with Todd Messett. You know, I talked to Todd all the time, you know, for the club. And that, there, was, there was a lot I didn't know about his time at West Point. So it's, I think it's really, it's really interesting to get to hear some of these guys that, you know, were not in your vintage at the academy. And hear about their experiences yeah so um who do you want to hear in the future if you're going to pick three three guys yeah. we're asking this now and it's hard it's getting harder because you know now we're episode 73 yeah you know there's i want to say there's not much left you know we, we probably we still have you know probably five hundred people yeah yeah do. Uh, I, so. I i would love to hear um uh jack effner get interviewed who was the, the coach in the nineties. And he, you know, like I said, I, I, I knew him as a, as a really young kid, but he was just always like such a nice guy. Um, and, you know, uh, I think did some really like cool and interesting stuff with the program. If, if, if anyone remembers the posters, uh, I, you know, I had, when I was a kid, all the army wrestling posters on my wall and coach Effner would have the team get out and they'd be like on a tank in BDU pants with boots and, and their singlet tops and, you know, all yeah. having like <laughs> rifles and guns and stuff. One year they did it on horses and they had cowboy hats and jeans and, you know, uh, you know, that was like, like super nineties NCAA wrestling. Um, I've seen some of the, some of the teams try and bring it back, but uh, yeah, I think coach Effner would be really interesting. So I, interestingly enough, I wrestled in high school with his son Um Jason, who ended up wrestling at Ohio, and that's where Coach Effner went to coach after this. But, um, and then the other one I would love to hear, and I don't know if they could do it just based on like their jobs and what they're still doing in the Army, but um, you got to have Todd Wisman and Gabe Lucero on together at the same time. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know who Todd and Gabe are, they were roommates, maybe all four years, actually, no, not all four years, but they were roommates for at least for three of the years. Um, 
they were both nuclear engineering majors um, and they were the odd couple. Uh, Todd was from Harris, Harrisburg, Virginia. Um, and, you know, when he first showed up at West Point, I didn't even understand what he was saying half the time. Um, and then Gabe was from uh, New Mexico. And these two guys together, it's just a, a laugh riot. Um, and, but now they're all, you know, they're, they're both out there in the army within special operations doing great stuff and they're total badasses. And like I said, they're, you know, physics, uh, they're, they're nuclear engineers, you know? So uh, the, the brains and the brawn for sure. Um, neither are yeah. particularly handsome men, you know? So that's, that's <laughs> what they don't have going for them, but yeah. How, uh, I remember seeing you guys at your uh, 15 year reunion this fall. Um, do you guys have a good time? <laughs> yeah, great, great time. Was, uh, I think like collectively we're like all godparents to each other's kids and, um, you know, so, uh, but they, I think that they would be really interesting because they both got hurt. They both got hurt. Yeah. Um, they both, you know, had ice or, I mean, they, they were, everything they did, they did together. You know, if, they, if one was going to blow their knee out, like in horrible, traumatic fashion, they were both going to do it. <laughs> Where is Todd, is Todd at Bragg too? Or where's Todd at? Todd's in DC. Okay. Um, so, he might have to kill me if I say anything more. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Tyler, you got anything else before we wrap this up? No, it was great, man. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, you guys and, and everyone else at the uh, at the Army Navy match. Um, I think it's going to be a great one. And uh, you know, to all the the guys, I, I don't know how many of the wrestlers listen, but you know, we believe in you. You guys have had a hell of a season, tough competition, and you know, fully expect a win against Navy. Yeah, we're definitely we're definitely getting W this year. I there, there's no there's no fans or buzz about it. Yeah. But also I appreciate you having right, Thank you. Thanks, be home. Thanks for tuning in to the B-Hall Radio Show. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. If there's something you'd like to hear on a future show, reach out to us on any of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or you can reach us at email, bhaw.radio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And as always, go Army, be Navy.